This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Joining me on the line is everybody's favorite cardiologist, Dr. John Weisler. He is a general cardiologist in private practice, head of cardiology at Lionsgate Hospital on the North Shore of Vancouver, British Columbia. And he is also the head of the North Shore Heart Center. Good evening, Dr. Weisler. Good evening, Marine. Thanks for joining me on the program to talk about this latest study that involves the benefits to stenting multiple blocked arteries, not just the one that caused a heart attack. Uh, talk to me about this because I've had uh, little, um, I've had concerns for patients who were stented because oftentimes it's my understanding that they failed. Yeah, so this is a, a really important study. And it adds to our, you know, adds to our understanding about coronary disease. And it's, uh, it's really neat because there's a strong uh, Vancouver component. There were, it's a multinational study that just uh, reported. It's called the Complete Trial. Uh, they had over 4,000 patients. About 200 uh, were from Vancouver and through the Vancouver and St. Paul's uh, cath lab teams. Um, and so this, this kind of advances our understanding because, as you pointed out, Maureen, stenting is kind of complex and you know in cardiology it's gone back and forth you should do more stents you should do less stents and you know a lot of our stenting data before a lot of the trials were done in patients with sort of stable coronary disease so you know maybe you had some chest pain you saw your cardiologist and you end up doing a an angiogram procedure which for those of you that don't know it's a minimally invasive procedure they thread little wires up to your heart and then they squirt dye down the arteries in your heart muscle you have three main ones and then they can do the angioplasty where they inflate a little balloon and open the artery they leave behind a metal coil called a stent so for patients where they just had some you know maybe a bit of chest pain when they walked but they didn't have a heart attack you know there's actually like the data that stenting makes a difference is more modest it can help you feel better but usually the medications are sort of the most important in terms of making you live longer and control the disease there are certain types of heart attacks and when you have a heart attack, um, you know, your, your risk of having more problems is greater. So you're a sicker patient. So it's different from somebody who just has a bit of chest pain when they walk. When you have a heart attack and you have to go into hospital, angioplasty can be life-saving. There are certain types of heart attacks, which we can see on the ECG. You need to get the artery opened right away. And so when, when, we would, when, when the cardiologists that do angiograms, they're called interventional cardiologists, when they would do an angiogram on a patient who was having a heart attack, they would, use, they would see you know, the main blockage that was um, responsible for the heart attack. And they could tell it had clot on it, or they could tell from the ECG tracing. Um, But of course, you know, coronary disease, when you get disease that affects your heart, it's cholesterol plaque, it happens to some degree throughout your body. So you'd often see, you'd see one blockage that was the cause of the problem, but you might see others in patients. And we didn't know, could you uh, just put the, just fix the one artery, uh, which is maybe a simpler procedure, and then uh, put the patient on medications and that would be good enough and they would do well? Uh, Or should you open all of the different blockages that you see or as many as you can and would that, um, would that uh, you know, let the patient do better in the short term and, and the long term? And we didn't know before this trial. And, and again, you might think that opening all the arteries would be good, but it didn't always, you know, in, in other groups of patients, those patients that had more stable disease, it didn't always turn out that way. So what this trial showed, you know, if you, had a, if you have a heart attack and you fix the main, the culprit lesion, the, the main, the, the blockage that was responsible for the heart attack, it's better to uh, fix the other blockages too. And you could fix them at the same time or within about 45 days of going into hospital. So you could do one procedure, go back and do a second shortly after. But if you did that compared to just fixing the one blockage, you had a 26% lower risk of having another heart attack 
or of dying. So it was a really um, significant benefit for patients to fix all the arteries, you know, when you when you first had the heart attack or very shortly after. And would patients still require medications as well? Yes. So that's the other point that the authors of the study were very careful to make that you still need medications. You might need a little bit less because some of the medications, you know, when people, um, when they go into hospital with a heart attack, they often leave with, you know, four or five medications. Uh, One or two of the medications are sometimes to help control symptoms like chest pain. So you might not need those, but you still need, you need blood thinners, you need aspirin and you know, um, a stronger version of aspirin, Plavix or Prolenta um, are the two that we tend to use. And then you'd still need, most people need something to control cholesterol and help their blood pressure. So yes, and everybody's very careful to state that the benefits in this trial of fixing all the arteries, they occur on top of very good use of, you know, the usual medications that we use. And continued observation as well. Um, another question exactly. I had for you, is this preventive in any way? Um, so uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I, in general, to prevent more heart disease, we think of, you know, the uh, lifestyle uh, first, or, or, as we've discussed before, you know, control your weight, stay active, look after your numbers like your cholesterol and blood pressure, and then medications are also very clearly preventative. We think of angioplasty more as, you know, stopping the heart attack when it's going on or relieving symptoms. But you, you can also argue, yes, that if you, had, if you had all your arteries stented, you did have a lower risk of um, having another heart attack uh, over the next three years. So to some degree, the stenting in these patients was uh, preventative as well in, in the short term. And was there any difference between men and women in this study? Um, not a big one, Maureen. Um, most of the people in the study, most of the patients were men. I think it was 70 or 75 percent. They were um, Women have heart disease about as frequently as men do, or even slightly more frequently, uh, but um, m- men were more likely to have more complex disease with multiple blockages. So a greater number of women, um, when they had their heart attack, they just had maybe one blockage or one or two. So, um, you know, the, the results applied equally to both genders. Both genders, men and women, showed the same benefit from uh, having the benefit of having the multiple arteries unblocked as opposed to just the one culprit problem. When they had the same de- uh, degree of disease, yes. is that correct? Yes, and, when and they had this, yes, when they had the same degree of disease, yes. And why do men tend to have more blocked arteries than women? Well, it's a good question, and uh, I don't have um, a single straightforward answer. I think um, women, women do certainly get heart disease, Marine, but they tend to get it a bit later in life, so by the time, you know, maybe by the time men have um, their heart attack, they've been having coronary disease develop longer. Women develop the disease later in life, and they're often at low risk until they till they approach menopause. Um, also, you know, you could argue that um, in some ways, uh, women might do a better job of looking after themselves. They're more likely to see the doctor and do things like look after their cholesterol and things like that. Um, but so, so there's, I think, several different reasons, you know, why, why, why that happens. It's very interesting. Um, and in some of the symptoms, let's uh, review some of the symptoms of heart attack that people should pay attention to um, where they may require stenting. Yep. So, uh, so always important to know your body and uh, to pay attention if something unusual is happening. So the uh, most common, the classic symptom would be like a chest pain or pressure that you feel sort of over your chest, a pressing feeling or a squeezing sensation. Um, and both genders get this, but women are a little bit likely to get, um, you know, uh, less typical or atypical symptoms. So sudden shortness of breath that doesn't make sense. Uh, unexplained sweating or nausea, 
uh, or feeling your pulse race or feeling really weak or tired or dizzy. Um, and when it's a heart attack, it will usually uh, come on without sort of uh, a lot of warning and it will be a very sort of intense symptom. So chest pain or pressure is the most common. Then um, lightheadedness, shortness of breath, sweating, nausea are sort of the most common ones. And do people often deny their symptoms? It can happen for sure. So, uh, so uh, often, you know, when you when you when I meet patients that have had a, a heart attack, you know, they'll, they'll tell me their symptoms and say, for example, it's chest pain, and um, you know, they'll often when they think back, they'll realize that you know, a few times in the weeks leading up to their heart attack, they had milder symptoms, but they came on for a few minutes then went away. They didn't think it was anything or they thought it was heartburn. And, you know, I, I have, um, you know, experience in my own family, some family members that have heart disease that thought they just had acid reflux. But, you know, the trick, the trick, the, the clue there was that it would come on when they would walk, which reflux shouldn't do. But uh, so, so, yeah, people try to find all sorts of other explanations and, you know, they're busy or they, they're not used to looking after themselves that much or they you know, we don't want to believe that we have a serious disease. So uh, it's very common for both men and women. Yeah, I would imagine many people would be very afraid of that diagnosis because in the past, certainly it was associated uh, significantly with death and dying um, mm-hmm. and dying early. So, um, well, Dr. Weisler, thank you very much for educating me and the listeners on this very important landmark study that is looks like it's going to be changing the way we treat uh, patients who have blocked arteries. Well, you're welcome, Maureen. And I think it will. I think it will be practice changing and change how we treat people when they when they have their heart attack. We have a lot more clarity or certainty in, in going ahead and opening those other arteries that we didn't have before. Absolutely. Dr. John Weisler, cardiologist, North Vancouver, British Columbia. Thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on the program as always. This is the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Confidence, self-confidence is an issue for many, many women. And Beth Caldwell, founder of Leadership Academy for Women and the author of the book Women Lead that is coming out in 2020, joins me on the line from Florida. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Maureen. So glad to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here because confidence is a big issue or lack thereof. So why do women lose confidence? You know, Maureen, I think that a big, big problem that women struggle with, you know, I'm in the United States, you're in Canada. I think in our culture is we suffer from this huge issue called what do other people think of me? And what can happen is if somebody makes a comment or doesn't like something you do or you maybe have a light that's shining a little too brightly that makes them uncomfortable, they make a comment that, that women will tend to uh, deeply internalize and it can rattle their confidence. I completely agree with you. I think we've all fallen victim to that for sure. Um, so does confidence wax and wane in women? So are there times when women feel more confident and um, whereas other times they feel less confident? And also, does that relate to certain aspects of themselves? For example, they may be confident about their body image, but they may not be all that confident about their performance in the bedroom. Or are they confident at work, but not confident that they can meet all the deadlines that they need to? You know, not only do I think that confidence wanes for women, Maureen, I think that it wanes several times throughout the day. I mean, my goodness, poor men, right? They just, it must be so hard to keep up with it. Yeah, but, you know, you yeah, start, poor men, sarcasm. And still, <laughs> sorry. Uh, there we go. 
you could start your day um, on top of the world because, you know, you got out of bed early, you got your exercise in, you feel like you look great in that outfit, and then you walk, and you're just on top of the world. You walk into work and you didn't get assigned a project that you were hoping for, and the confidence plummets. And then something great happens later in the day. You get a compliment and you get something new. It, it can happen not only through several times in our lifetimes, but through several times in a day, week, and a month. So that's got to be frustrating for the men in our lives. And oftentimes women, and, and men too probably, need that affirmation. They, they, they need to know that they are accepted. They need to know that they're okay, that they're good enough. And that comes from, I, I imagine, parents. And what are some of the other um, ways uh, people affirm themselves or women affirm themselves? Well, you know, it's really important, as I was going back to the first thing, what do people think of us, but just to feel as though you fit in somewhere. And, and when I work with women leaders, a lot of times, because they're willing to stand up and show leadership, they make other people feel com- uncomfortable. And so they don't sometimes feel like there's a place for them to fit in at work. Or in my own case, sometimes I haven't felt that I fit in with my family because I've gone for a career, and some people in my family haven't gone for a career, right? And so I always tell people, if you can find one place that you fit in, and hasn't, uh, you know, social media and the Internet made that so much easier for us, particularly those of us who live in small towns, to be able to connect with people that are just like us, so we feel like we fit in somewhere. So, yes, you can get affirmations from your husband, your family, Um, your mom, your sister, your coworkers, your best friend. But sometimes if you have, you know, your core group of people who believe in you, and in my business women's group, we we have a mastermind group of women, and, you know, we can bring anything into that mastermind. And they're all like-minded, success-driven women individuals with high standards. You can just really get your soul fed from, from being with a group of people that is just like you. That's awesome. And how much does a success, so uh, a woman may have a success in her relationship or at her job or with her children um, or in her life in, in many different aspects, how much does that success contribute to building self-confidence? I think it, I think, you know, I, I think it contributes a great, great deal. Um, how we think of ourselves inside of our head is really the foundation of confidence. And, um, and as you talk about relationships in the bedroom, right, don't you feel just awesome when you've had a fantastic day? Doesn't it make you feel just a little sexier? Oh, yes. When I've helped when somebody else going with their great. sex life. Yes, sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, it does. When you feel really good about the work that you're doing in the world, let's say in your in your work, in your career, it does fold over into other areas of your life. It certainly does. And which brings me to failure. And, you know, we all fall, we all fail, we're afraid to fail. There's a lot of perfectionists out there that think that failure is a, is a horrible thing. But if you can pick yourself up after you've fallen or, or failed, um, would you say that is helpful in building confidence coming back from a failure? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a curveball here and tell you something. I, I think that too many people focus on failure. And I have to tell you, recently I went to a conference, and a lot of times I'm the speaker at a conference. This time I was a student. See, I bought a ticket, I went to a conference, I was there to learn. And the teacher began the class talking about failures. 
which to me was a huge downer. It just wasn't exciting. It really wasn't something that I wanted to talk about. But you know what I noticed? Oh, there were about 30 other women in the room besides me. And the teacher asked us to write down our failures. And I immediately got uncomfortable because everyone in the room started writing really fast, really big <laughs> lips. And I couldn't think of anything to write down. I felt so uncomfortable, but it was so interesting of an experience for me to see how I really do think differently than many people do. And, um, and, and I was thinking and thinking and thinking, and I was like, oh, I'm divorced. Yeah, that was a failure, right? So I wrote that down, and I was trying to think of something else to put down, and she called time, and she started asking for volunteers to share their, their list of things that they had failed in. And I'm like, oh, please, I hope this day gets better, right? But pe- women were jumping up, and they were reading their list of, of you know, their failures that they had done. And I thought, oh, oh, geez, I've done that. Oh, I've done that. I've done that. And all of these little tiny mistakes that people had made in their lives that they were considering failures, I had just considered, boy, I'm going to do that better the next time I get the opportunity, right? right. And so I think if you focus on your, uh, your mistakes or your wrong turns as failures, that puts your confidence in the toilet. We are way too hard on ourselves, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah, you make a great point. That was, that was a huge, huge lesson for me at how very, very hard women are on themselves. Absolutely. Women can be very hard on themselves in terms of body image, in terms of perfectionism, in terms of doing it all, managing it all. Um, do, you, do you think that self-confidence uh, can be seen, uh, lack of self-confidence or confidence can be seen by other people? Do we, do we wear it, it on our sleeves? Yeah, I think that we're pretty good at hiding it. I think we're pretty good at hiding it. You know, you mentioned to me we're talking uh, before the interview that somebody pointed it out to you. I think somebody has to be pretty playing pretty close attention because, yes, of (laughs) course, there are signs of lack of confidence, especially in younger women. But for most of us, we are very, very good at putting on a strong uh, exterior, aren't we? We're really, really good at putting on a brave face. Well, I thought and so I it was. might be that only those who don't know who know us well might be able to see that. Right, and and I thought I was um, faking it, which is another question. You can fake an orgasm, but can you fake self confidence? <laughs> I, I think you just well, answered that. It depends on how well that person knows you. <laughs> right, exactly. So I started working after a colossal failure in my career. I started working for a, a, a colleague that I'd worked with um, before. And so I, in, admittedly, I was very nervous and I was jumpy and, you know, afraid to make a mistake. And, and so he said to me, he said nothing but this in his God bless him South African accent. He said, Maureen. I want you to go home and I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Stuart Smiley, Saturday Night Live. And I burst out laughing and I said, he sees my lack of self-confidence. And, and so then I saw him the other night. I've worked with him now for, you know, over, he said this to me about 10 years ago and we've been working together ever since. And I said, he said that to me 10 years ago and he's created a monster. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but it was great feedback for me and really helpful. And, you know, I lack self-confidence in certain areas of my life um, still, you know, and, and as you say, all through the day. But what is the advice you would give to women who have issues with self-confidence? 
So this is the advice that I give. I'm going to give you a couple of tips for women who struggle with their self-confidence. So first of all, the tip that, that you have looking in the mirror and saying that you're good enough uh, um, is, is a great and funny tip. And I think that's, that's a great way to laugh about it. Um, but when, you're, when you are beating up on yourself, when you are doubting yourself, my question for you to ask yourself, is that true? So, for example, if you're saying I'm not qualified for that promotion or I look terrible in this outfit or whatever it is, is that really true? That would be my first piece of advice for you. My second piece of advice would be to be sure that you are um, hanging around other smart, successful women as much as you can. We can't always pick who we have in our family. We can't always pick who our coworkers and our, our colleagues and our bosses are. But you can pick um, who you hang out with and who you learn from. So make sure that you are reading great books written by great people. You join yourself into a mastermind or a women's professional group, um, and you're reading uh, the best books from leaders, and you're listening to podcasts and radio shows from from smart, successful, savvy women because we know that who we hang out with, who we spend our time and who we spend our energy with is who we will become. Excellent. And I also would like to say, expect the best. You know, when there's, I, I am definitely an annoying optimist, and I'm definitely a half, a glass half full type of a gal, right? But but if you you get in life exactly what you expect, so why wouldn't you expect the best? Absolutely, it's great advice. I, I really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, this is Beth Caldwell, founder of Leadership Academy for Women and author of the book Women Lead that will be coming out in 2020. Beth, thank you so much. Love to have you back on the program to talk about some of your other work about, uh, in particular, mean girls and bullies at work. So thanks for joining me tonight on oh, the show. Oh, yeah. Well, they don't call it stress timber. For no reason. Maybe you're not quite back into your routine. Maybe you're having difficulty getting the kids back to school. You have too much to do at work, at home, and in your social life. And healthy habits can take a back seat because you're just too busy. The reality is Canadians are fitting more activities than ever into their days today. And so to discuss this and ensure that exercise is on the top of your page is in Swanee Baffo. He is the personal training manager for the downtown Toronto Good Life Fitness Organization. And he joins me on the line from Toronto. Thank you so much for joining me, Antoine. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So this whole exercise thing, i got to tell you, this morning I was, I was the uh, medical person, I was the nurse for the big coho swim here on the north shore of Vancouver, British Columbia. And uh, so it was... I had to be there at about 8 o'clock, and uh, I had a hard time getting out of bed, I have to admit. And really, I'd been up since 6, so I should have, um, instead of getting up and getting out and doing some exercise before then, I just lounged around and had coffee in bed. So how do we change these habits? How do we get motivated when September seems so overwhelming? Well, let me start by saying you're not a bad person. Sometimes <laughs> it's okay to lounge around. It is a busy time of year with schedules going back to normal, kids going back to school and work settling in after it was a really great summer. It it can be hard to get going, but like all things that produce some sort of success, we just have to schedule and plan and take a good inventory of where we may be wasting some time. Uh, One of the easiest ways to start off looking is at our screen time. Um, 
I love Instagram. I love social media. I love staying connected with family and friends. But we do know it is a big drain, and it can it can take away from things that are important, like working out, and it can sometimes make us feel even more stressed or more anxious and disturb our sleep, which in the long run isn't very great. So first place I suggest is just taking an inventory with either an app like your screen app on iPhones or your battery app on other applications that will tell you really and truly how much time you're spending looking and what programs and apps you're using. And then also TV too. <clears throat> I mean, Netflix is great and there's lots of great shows and football started today. But at the same time too, if these actions are taking away from our overall health and our productivity, then we have to start by looking in the mirror there. Now, uh, Canadians are fitting more activities than ever before into their days. And in a national survey of working Canadians, one-third of respondents felt they have more work to do than time permits. And that number rises to 40% when family roles are taken into account. We're, we're multitaskers. We're, we want to do everything. Um, we're doing it all sometimes and not doing it. And that's for another segment. Um, but how is it that we can get that exercise, that we can get motivated um, because motivation, I think people can think, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll start my exercise program tomorrow. I fell off the wagon today. I ate fried food or whatever. I'll start again tomorrow. How do we get, maintain that discipline after getting motivated? Great question. And to be really honest, motivation and discipline are highly overrated because they will change depending on how you feel or what circumstances you're exposed to. Scheduling is really what will make you successful. Uh, think of your worst day at work. Think of your toughest event that you ever went through. Did you ever forget to brush your teeth? No, because it's part of your routine, and, and you know the benefits of it, and it was set into your routine at a very young age. So if we can use working out and being active in the same way, especially right now, we have September, we have October, November, and before we know it, we're moving into a holiday season where schedules will change and in terms of fitness, activity level will change, and even food will change because we do want to eat and have a good time in the holidays, you have a good 90-day window to really plan at least two to three workouts or activities a week and build them into your schedule. And what that looks like sometimes is not the hour or 90-minute workout that we all wish we can get. It could be 30 minutes of moving around. It could be getting up from your desk. You want to make sure you're also being realistic. Uh, over the summer, we may change our shape, put on a few pounds as we should, barbecues, patios, cottages, we don't want to miss those things, especially in Canada when we have very short summers. However, it doesn't mean you have to change your shape or lose weight in the next 30 days. Uh, the most important part right now is sticking to something that's effective but also sustainable. So adjusting your goals is really important and comparing that to your schedule. In the next 90 days, can you work out 16 to, to 30 times? Can you schedule it in? Can you stick to it? And as little as 30 minutes. Um, also, too, it could be helpful for you some more efficient strategies in terms of a workout, high-intensity interval training like HIT. We can do things in this as little as 15 or 20 minutes if it's done effectively versus maybe doing like a 90-minute run or a 60-minute run sometimes um, in the gym. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say you make a great point. Yeah, in the gym, it's something as simple as are we doing full-body workouts or are we doing more workouts that are matching our stress level? If I'm really, really bogged down to the first week of school, I have some deadlines, it may not be the best time to go for a very taxing workout, like an all-out strength workout. 
It might be a yoga class. It might be some stretching. It's the consistency. It's the momentum that will carry us much further than just the momentum or even the discipline. And I like what you said about scheduling. I often suggest to patients in my clinical practice who are in sexless marriages to schedule sex. So scheduling exercises makes a lot of sense to me. And also, I may have to educate on variety and you know, spicing up uh, one's sex life. And, and you're actually talking a little bit about variety in exercise regimes. And exercise is so important because it does increase your overall sense of well-being and you also release endorphins uh, when you exercise, making you feel happier. Absolutely. Endorphins, dopamine, all these very important parts of our chemical brain that um, allows us to go back and finish off a report that we haven't closed off or even play with the kids after school. I mean, these things, I think we're very critical and we're very, we put ourselves in very tough situations sometimes when it comes to fitness and it's not realistic in any other part of our life. Uh, most of us have gone through some sort of schooling, either post-secondary or you know, university and so forth. Um, we didn't finish a course or a degree in a couple of months. We didn't cram it in and, and make an impact in one area. We did a variety of different subjects. We scaled it out over semesters and even years and even took some breaks in between. And most of our habits and most of our progress in life follows that, whether saving money or paying off debt advancing in our career, nothing is, is cheap, fast, and, and intense. But however, when it comes to our body, which is human tissue and habits and emotional uh, challenges, we all of a sudden want it a little bit too fast. And I think that can put us in a bad space sometimes and, and set us up for failure. It sure can. And, you know, so many of my patients as well uh, complain of fatigue, which is the number one reason for low sexual desire. And one of the reasons that men and women are fatigued today is because they have issues with sleep. They're not sleeping. They're either going to bed too late. They're waking up multiple times. They're waking up early. They they have their minds on the treadmill. So they're thinking about um, you know, what they did that day or what they have to do the next day. So how can exercise help uh, people get adequate sleep? Great question. So, again, going back to brain chemistry and endorphins and, and dopamine and things that naturally calm us down so we don't have these stimulants are also great. But it's also the distraction. So when you plan things like walking instead of driving, you know, when you're walking, you're taking in the sights and sounds and you're looking and you're aware on the road, you're not thinking so much about, What's going on next? You may be doing that if you're on the car or in a car or on a subway. Um, you know, taking the dog for a walk, even though that can be turnkey if we're not careful, but choosing a route that you haven't gone on before, so you have to be a little more aware, at least of your dog. Those moments bring us into a little more of a present state, and the more we can do that, the more we can unplug from the treadmill mind that you spoke of. Um, and also, too, when you start to push yourself in a physical state, you do need to rest. It's almost it's an automatic response. Uh, this morning, I, I ran with a group of runners who are very experienced, and I did a 8K run, and I wanted to push my pace a bit just to see where my body was at, and they crushed me. <laughs> and all I can wait is to go to bed tonight because my body physically is like, you're done. Um, <laughs> that's sometimes we just have to do that. We have to get ourselves to the point where our muscles say, you need to sit down. Well, Easier said than is done, which is why scheduling comes into port. It comes with a big big part. 
Absolutely. Well, I should let you go to bed and say good night now. <laughs> and thank you, Inswani <laughs> Bafo, personal training manager for the downtown Toronto Good Life Fitness. I really appreciate the information. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you, and get a great night's sleep. It's time for the Bedroom Bulletin. Sure is. And I've got an email from somebody who wants to get back to the bedroom. She does with her husband. He doesn't seem to want to so much. Anyway, you can always email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Love your emails. And I do try to answer them all, but I can't read them all on air. But I will send you some uh, words of wisdom via email. Anyway, hi, Maureen. Love the show. I'm looking for some advice or suggestions on how to spice up my life with my husband. A little background, we had separated for about a year after six years of marriage. Long story short, I felt ignored by him and felt like I was doing everything. He admitted he forgot about me as he was trying to figure out how to be a dad, a professional, and a husband. In his effort to be all that, he paid zero attention to me. So I sought it elsewhere, the sex that is, and I dove into my job and had an emotional affair which is very dangerous. We've been back together for almost a year and a half, and I have no regrets. But how do I tell him the predictable sexy time routine is boring? Can you recommend any toys, positions, etc.? How can I tell him without stepping on his rather large ego? Is there something I can do? I'm more of a spontaneous type of gal, while he's not. Not so same old and channel does not cut it for me anymore. XO, Samantha. Thank you, Samantha. Well, first of all, I think that communication sounds boring, but some dirty talk communication might do you some good and your husband as well. The sexiest organ in your body, of course, is the brain, and that is where sexual desire originates. And that's why sexy or dirty talk or talking about sex in a coarse or obscene way can be so arousing. And attraction starts in a part of the brain called the hypothalamus, which is responsible for the production of testosterone, and the amygdala controls fear. So your reaction to dirty words or the very subject of the talk depends on these two regions of your brain, but it is different in men and women. And men like dirty talk. A man's hypothalamus is bigger and therefore they're more sexually active and their libido is typically higher. But if your man's libido is lower, and many women are with men who have a lower lower libido, um, we, we often think it's just limited to women, but actually low libido can strike men as well. And so can hypoactive sexual desire disorder, a medical condition. But Men like dirty talk, and because their hypothalamus is bigger, they this actually spurs on the arousal. And the, the amygdala, which allows one to loosen up and reveal secret desires, is activated in the partner when you talk dirty to him. So I would try that. Also, get risky. Researchers assert that participation with a partner in high adrenaline, adrenaline activities, like watching a thriller just before sex or uh, mountain climbing, produces hormones that will cause arousal. So during stressful situations, adrenaline is released into the blood, and then the brain produces dopamine, a pleasure hormone that rewards the body for overcoming that stress. 
And so after sexual activity, because you are going to get to that, and I'm going to get to that, how you can increase that and add some toys to that situation, the affection given to your partner will certainly intensify. And so that's important, too, to talk afterwards and talk to your partner. Talking to your partner after sex can actually improve your relationship. Talk about your fantasies or things you enjoy. That can benefit your relationship and your love life as well. And so engaging in frank personal pillow talk will see positive effects. But sometimes it's about more than the pillow talk. And sometimes there's just too much talk. And so there are some great sex positions to maximize the pleasure for both of you because it's about you as well. Sex is a two-way street. Keep that in mind always. Unless you're in a sub-dom sexual relationship where it's been decided that one goes without pleasure while the other reaps all the benefits, sex should be pleasurable for both of you. And sometimes orgasm isn't achieved, although I do recommend that you work on it for both of you, but it's typically easier for men. It doesn't mean that sex can't be pleasurable and extremely satisfying. Some people report that it is without the orgasm. I don't know any of them, but um, but that is the point of, of sex, is that ultimate pleasure. And sex, remember, is the perfect conduit to building intimacy. So how do you do that? You could go with the, I'm sure you know about doggy style, and I don't have to review that unless I do, let me know, um, cowgirl style as well. These positions maximize pleasure for both partners um, in The doggy style, for example, is a favorite across the board for a lot of people. Um, Men particularly love it because they can penetrate very deeply in this position. And um, women, for women, the doggy style allows, um, you know, a perfect G-spot hit. And that will help to increase your experience of a vaginal orgasm. And it can feel fantastic. And the cowgirl is good because it also maximizes pleasure for both partners. When a when the woman is on top, she has total control over her orgasm, which means the clitoral stimulation from grinding against their partner's pubic bone can help you to orgasm. So for men, men find this pleasurable because they know the chances of their partner climaxing are pretty good in this position. And so um, they just get to lie there and enjoy themselves. And you know what? It's important for men that they pleasure their woman. And so talk to your partner about that. Also bringing in a vibrator. So adding a vibrator to the doggy style will absolutely ensure an orgasm. It's a real winner, this this particular position, because the person... Um, with the clitoris, typically the woman, <laughs> and the G-spot, when you're, when both of them are stimulated at the same time, you up your chances of having that elusive blended orgasm. And also um, your partner will get to enjoy the vibrations as they trickle on down to them while experiencing an awesome sensation of deep vaginal penetration. Um, of course, don't forget about 69. Sometimes people forget that as long as both partners enjoy giving and receiving oral sex, which that can be an issue for uh, some women. Uh, 69 can be an amazing experience. And if you do have an issue with it, it's uh, with oral sex, it's important to be comfortable with yourself, self-explore, uh, take your time, uh, be in a trusting relationship and, and, you know, try and work on being more vulnerable, being more comfortable with receiving oral sex because um, 
sometimes there's just nothing like it. Reverse cowgirl is another um, sex position that I would recommend because it's similar to the traditional cowgirl in that uh, women are in charge of the orgasm. So when that's part of the sexual equation, you know, it's a great position. And as for the man, um, they get to lie there, relax, enjoy the view, focus on the sensation of being vigorously stimulated, whether it be slow or um, easy by their partner. And then there's also the X marks the spot position. And so um, this is while you're laying on your back on a flat surface with your legs crossed and in the air, have your partner while standing penetrate you in this position. So, you know, he may not be that comfortable um, with, because oftentimes couples don't talk about their fantasies or, or position, different positions or, or the enjoyment that they might receive from these positions. So that's why it's important to have that conversation um, and talk about what the benefits can be. Because the this particular position, X marks the spot, maximizes pleasure for both partners because there's a tightness that is created with your crossed legs. Um, and so that uh, results in a tightness in your vagina that's a sensation you'll both really enjoy. And this is really about both of you. But in addition to the tight sensation is the G-spot stimulation for women. And the, per- the this position is perfect for your clitoris to be stimulated either manually or with a vibrator. You can bring a vibrator in with any of these positions. Um, and then there's the sideways straddle. Um, so with your partner laying down on their back and one of their knees bent, straddle that bended knee. And then next you want to lower yourself onto their penis while facing away from them. That's important. If your partner have, but continuing the conversation, if your partner, um, is a woman, you can also, uh, well, in, in your case, of course, um, I'm, I'm talking generally to everybody. This is not just for the emailer, but um, you can also use this position to grind against a, a woman's vulva, and that will help to increase the clitoral stimulation for both of you. Um, you know, clitoral stimulation is important, and this is really on top of the list because um, it's important that women experience orgasm. Another position is the sofa brace. And so that's um, while you're on your knees, drape yourself over the back or the side of your sofa and have your partner while on their knees penetrate you as they would in the doggy style. So from behind. Um, So it's basically doggy style, to be honest, but with the sofa against your mid region region. So you have a little support, you have a little less work to do. Um, And then there's always the modified doggy position. You can start by lying down in your stomach. Your partner climbs on top and penetrates you from behind. Or you can start in a traditional doggy style and then lower yourselves down together. Rear vaginal penetration is always a winner for both partners. Um, And you have the comfort of the bed against you as opposed to putting pressure and weight on your wrists and knees. And, And, you know, as people age, they actually start to get pain in certain areas. And knees are a very common area where people complain of pain. Um, because your bodies are on top of each other, either you or your partner have easy access to stimulation of your clitoris in addition to the phenomenal penetration. Um, you know what? And there's always pen- always sex positions that you can create yourselves um, so they can be your very own. And, and these certainly are not all of the sex positions that are out there. Um, and sometimes people who may be experiencing pain or other issues, they may need some support. Um, 
um, in the form of pillows or forms. Um, there's lots of different sex toys to bring into the bedroom, like the couple's vibe that was created by an unemployed engineer. His nurse wife said, go down to the basement and, and do something that'll make us some money. He had just lost his job, I guess. So lots of different uh, sex toys that, uh, of course, my personal favorite is the Womanizer, a clitoral suckling device. But uh, don't be afraid to bring a, a sex toy into the bedroom that can increase the pleasure as well, because that's what it's all about. But you know what? Take it slow in praise of slow sex, really, and take it slow with your husband. Um, because, you know, desire discrepancy is common and, and many times women have a higher desire than their male partners. So um, keep that in mind and, and maybe, you know, just take it slow, take it easy, one step at a time. He may not feel as vulnerable as you. But thank you so much, Samantha, for your email question. Hopefully that helped you out. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at CKNW.com, the Radio Player Canada app. Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.